I truly believe every dollar that we send out into the world is shaping the world that we live in. So the world that we see around us today is fueled by our financial decisions. And the world that we aspire to is being built by our financial decisions. So if that's motivating, right, to like help get you on this path of better financial confidence, use it because we need more people involved in these decisions. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What is your team culture like? What is your leadership style? How do you make decisions? These are all questions my client was recently asked. These questions came from different people, their current team, people who they were interviewing, who wanted to work for them, even their mentee. They all wanted to know, what's it like to work for you, to learn from you? And when I started working with this client, they had some generic answers that they could speak to each of these questions, but sometimes they weren't as confident in their answers as they'd like to be. Now they're able to confidently describe with examples, the cultures of their team their leadership style and how they make decisions aligned to what's important to them by describing their values, how they model those values and how they reward and recognize those behaviors. Can you answer those questions for yourself? Let's dig into these together. Join us in the catch crew, a place to grow your career intentionally, to get the skills to intentionally grow your career and your teams through your own leadership. When you join, you get instant access to team building tools, including values first, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, values first. You get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. That's the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm really excited for you to meet our guest today, Jennifer Sapel. Jen is a wealth advisor who pursued a career in finance after watching her mom struggle financially after divorce. After two decades in leadership positions with a large company where she was often the only woman in the room, she decided to launch Utor Wealth. Utor is Latin for to use to employ, to enjoy. She believes that every dollar we send out into the world is shaping both the world we see today and the one we aspire to in the future. She now has the practice she loves helping high earning women increase their financial confidence and learn the ways that they can make financial decisions that contribute to a better, more sustainable world. She lives north of Seattle with her husband, two kids under five years old, a dog, five beehives, and a small orchard. 
I'm really excited for this topic. Um, one of the things we did last year was a survey to understand what other kinds of things you all wanted to listen to. And one of those things that came up was more interest in financial strategy and acumen. So Jennifer and I talked about how we can build our financial confidence and how to align our financial decisions with our values. I am really excited about this conversation. We discussed the feelings of shame that some people feel when it comes to money and not knowing everything they should about their money. We use Jennifer's framework of earn, save, invest, give, and spend to walk through how you can align your values to all of those aspects of your financial strategy. You will hear many ideas and resources throughout our conversation, which Jennifer has graciously given us and we've linked it all in the show notes. I hope you learn as much as I did in this conversation, and I hope that it helps you live a life guided by your values, not only at work, but in your financial decisions as well. Let's get started. I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm excited to connect on this topic because usually we're talking about like lots of leadership stuff. And this is just so important. And I'm really excited about tying the idea of financial decisions to our values. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to dig in. But before we dig in, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about yourself, whatever you want to in terms of life, career, and those kinds of things um, to kind of give us a little bit more background and backstory. I was born in the Bay Area. I have one sister and my parents got divorced when I was 10. And so I, in my childhood, I had like a life before divorce and a life after divorce and the life after divorce was very financially stressful. So I'm a firstborn and a type A and I was like, I'm going to conquer this. So that's what drove me into the world of finance. It was particularly hard for me watching my mom struggle and my dad didn't struggle uh, post-divorce. So enter the world of finance. There's only 15% of financial advisors are women. So I worked with a big company for almost 20 years. Uh, I was often the only woman in the room and then ventured out on my own with Utor Wealth in 2018. It was that same year I had my first kiddo and I had my second in 2020. So I have a pandemic baby. I lost my sister in 2020. She was 36 years old. So I also care for my niece who is autistic with significant needs. So I'm the kind of person that have has always been the person in the friend group that people can come to for like hard things or advice or, you know, whatever the case is. So um, I know you had mentioned in, in our like prep, are there any topics that are off topic? And I'm like, Nope. I, one of my values is shedding light on things that are often hidden under shame. And so I am willing and open to talk about any subject that's helpful for people. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think so much of what we've been through drives what we're doing now. And I love that this has shaped what you're doing now, because now you can impact so many women and people to really dig into that shame and give us some tools to figure it out. Because I would guess that I know I personally do. I feel not as confident and not as competent. I'm getting better, 
but at like all the financial stuff. And there is shame around not being like the primary person. So in my family, my husband loves all that stuff. And I have just let him kind of be in the driver's seat, which he loves. And we do, you know, financial updates together and we make decisions together and all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm not the primary driver of it. And as somebody like a type A, like totally same here, I kind of, my hands are not completely off the wheel, but you know, yeah, I, I could be more involved. And I, I would guess that lots of other women or other partners are in the same boat mm-hmm. and there's lots of shame around that. Yes. So we're, we can dig into that. I'd also, you mentioned one of your values Um, what are some of the other ones that you hold, um, that kind of drive some of your decisions, whether financial or not? My number one is authenticity. Mm. I have a really hard time with people or things that are not authentic. Uh, and I've done like the Brene Brown workbook. That's like, you know, lists all of them and like narrow them down. And I, I have a few others, like, uh, equality is definitely high on the list. So dispelling shame like i th- and i think that's part of being authentic right that that we pretend we walk around and we pretend like these things don't happen to people we pretend like we all know what, what we're talking about with money uh, or that we should know what we're talking about with money we pretend like people don't die or people don't you know get harmed every day under like terrible circumstances we pretend like people don't you know get injured or whatever uh so i think being authentic and like confronting the human experience and equality are all kind of like along the same lines. And that's my bag as far as values go. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. So as we dig into this, I think the the overall question is how can we use our values to mm-hmm. guide our financial decisions? And that I know that is a very big question to unpack, but I would love to see if we could start to unpack this. I love it. Okay. So yes, what you mentioned is that like, you're not the one who does it. Your husband does it. That is so common. So totally normal, totally common. I talked to a very, very uh, wealthy and uh, prolific and amazing physician recently. And she was like, yeah, I'm like a 1950s housewife with when it comes to money. Like I'm totally clueless. I have no idea what's happening. So the, here's the thing, the shame shame is a tool for oppression like it's not completely unintentional that we feel like we know more about money than we do and that's just kind of like a broad systemic thing but the reality with money is that money is a like life skill set right so knowing how to use a spoon to eat your cereal or driving a car or sailing, sailing is not a life skill, but like learning how to sail, those are all skill sets that you did not, you were not born knowing how to do. You had to learn how to do those intentionally. And the thing with money is that a lot of us in my household, we were not taught intentionally how to use money as a tool. Like we were, I was very specifically taught how to use a spoon and how to walk and how to dress myself, how to brush my teeth, right? All of those kind of life skills, how to like do my own laundry, Those things I was explicitly taught growing up, but I wasn't taught anything about money growing up. I would say that's the case. Most people I talk to, that's the case in a lot of households. People who had households where their parents actually sat them down and intentionally had money lessons feel less of that I should know more kind of shame burden. So that's 
one is just recognize money is a skill set. All skill sets are awkward when you're new to them. And the only way to get better at a skill set is by doing it. You can read about how to drive a car all you want. You can watch videos. You can take classes. But until you actually get behind the wheel and when you first do it, you're terrified. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. So that's my like best tool in the realm of deshaming money. I love it. And I, and I, when you were talking about it, it brought me back to like childhood thinking like, how did I learn about money? My mother was, is still the primary like payer of bills. And I remember her like at the check, like getting her checkbook out and like doing the balancing. And she was actually the lead in our house. So it's, it's even more interesting now that I'm like, huh, I wonder how that didn't stick for me, but like, did um, she ever sit you down and say like, Hey, do this with me? I think, I feel like she probably did. I remember, I remember watching her do it. I mean, she was a mother of four. Everything was chaos and loud and in our Italian house growing up. But I know that she taught me how to balance my checkbook. She's they're always intentional about we all, we had savings accounts and if you want that, you can spend your own money. And this is how you can do that. Like we had all those conversations. So it's really interesting to think about, think about that. And like, did it take, or did it not take? I'm sure some lessons she'll probably listen to this and be like, Laura, I did totally teach you how to do this. But, um, but, um, even that, like the, there's like shame and like, what did I not, how did I not carry that over? Right. Yeah. Well, and then there, and then there's the, you have to use it part, right? Like yeah. you're, yeah using it, even if you had learned the skill, eventually you, you forget, uh, or need a refresher. And I'd say it's perfectly fine. Give yourself permission in your household, like any other household maintenance activity It's perfectly fine for, for one partner to lead and another partner to, you know, lead in other things and like have a division of labor that way. So there's no need to feel ashamed that that's the case there's still elements of like the household financial situation and decisions that both parties or all parties absolutely have to be a part of. And that's because all relationships end. Yes. Okay. Talk more about that. I feel like that's something that we don't talk about enough. And like one of those things where like you said, you don't, we don't want to think about all the hard things that are out there. Um, and end could mean lots of different things. It could mean relationships end. it could mean that, you know, one person decides, or you make the decision as a family that one person that was the primary breadwinner goes back to school, like so many decisions. It could mean a death. It could be like just so many things. Yes, you're exactly right. There are probably infinite number of reasons that relationships end. The most common with marriages are divorce or death, you know, and you could, you could stay happy and married and partnered for all of your life. But again, statistically, one of you will die some period of time sooner than the other one. It's very, very rare, right? That you're going to like go together or like not too far apart. And statistically women live longer than men. So the most likely scenario is that the husband dies first and the, the wife is on her own for a period of time. And it wasn't uncommon, especially in, in older generations where the woman had no idea what was ever going on in the financial situation and only learned of it after a death. So that's why it's important that while partners are alive, at least once a year, like at the very least, it needs to be once a year 
twice a year is better. Once a month or once a quarter is okay too, but pick something that works in your relationship. And the two most critical things in finance are cash flow. So that's just kind of like a, a general understanding of how much money comes in on an annual basis and how much money goes out on an annual basis. And I say annual because oftentimes we look at it monthly, but not every month captures gifts or vet bills or you know the things that just don't happen monthly. I call mm-hmm. them very creatively semi-regular expenses, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? vacations. So just have a general understanding on an annual basis. This is what comes in and this is what goes out. And then the other important thing is what does your balance sheet look like? A personal balance sheet. And for people who they're like, oh, balance sheet, it's a financial term and you're getting nervous. It's okay. You're safe here. (laughs) Uh, It's a new word. That is just a list of all of your accounts and like assets that you own. So your home is an asset. So a list of all of your assets and of all of your liabilities. Liabilities are, you know, loans, things that you owe other people. So a mortgage is a liability. So your balance sheet is just listing out all of those things. And again, if you're not involved in the financial decisions day to day or the investment decisions, it's still good every year. Take a look and say, okay, here are all the accounts, like the rough balances of all the accounts. If one of you passed away tomorrow, I know where the accounts are, right? And how to get into them, by the way, (laughs) right? Everything's electronic now. Like, do you have, do you like logistically have passwords? We're getting very tactical here, but like, yeah, I would imagine this is something that happens all the time that people don't. It does. If you're, uh, if you're an analog person, like have a paper, this is the account. This is the account number. This is how to access it. If you're a digital person, uh, my husband and I use a password manager and we have those things shared. So we, we can see them uh, on each other's behalf. So we're talking about like kind of traditional heterosexual, you know, this idea of husband and wife, but obviously that's not what every family looks like. And Mm so um, do you find that there's, there's, if there's a partnership that there's still usually a primary partner with financial stuff, like there's a lead in some of this stuff? Yeah. Uh, It's really common for any kind of relationship for there to be a dynamic where some person enjoys it or is less intimidated by it. Um, And some person delegates. Uh, And I would say all those things apply regardless is that if you have a life together and you're sharing any element of your financials together, then at least once a year, if not four times a year, you're kind of sitting down and going through those things together. Yeah. And then my next question is if you're not partnered, if you're single, Mm -hmm. do you find that Sometimes we, we don't even, we, we do the, the minimum and maybe don't explore some of the things that we could because of the shame and lack of knowledge and confidence, like certain kinds of investing and those kinds of things. I think that if you're, if you're not partnered, there's just an element of necessity that you have to be more involved Um, I wouldn't say, I would say the shame is, I wouldn't say it's better or worse if you're not partnered. I've encountered lots of people who had deep, deep shame, whether they were single or, or coupled. And I don't think off the top of my head that that, that played into that dynamic. Yeah. Do you find that over time it's the, those first two things, like if we, if we have a handle on 
you know, cash flow and all of our assets. Like mm-hmm. then we can start to understand some of this other stuff. And then we can get to this next step of, okay, so how can I actually then like say, these are all the important things to me, like all of these things. And I want to use my money yeah. as a tool for yeah. that to extend in my decision-making or my, an extension of my values, really. Yeah. Expression of your values. Yeah. I, I truly believe every dollar that we send out into the world is shaping the world that we live in. So the world that we see around us today is fueled by our financial decisions and the world that we aspire to is being built by our financial decisions. So if that's motivating, right. To like help get you on this path of better financial confidence, use it because we need more people involved in these decisions. I break down money skills into five different categories. And I think all of these categories, there are ways that you can express your values within them. So the first one is earn the way that you earn your money. So I like, I like, this is probably more your wheelhouse than mine, right? Like the place that you are devoting your time and your energy, is it a place that is aligned with your values? Yes. And that's where, where you can make those hard decisions. And, and sometimes you're potentially saying, this is a really hard decision. I'm earning a lot of money, but I'm not like completely living my values. And you might make the decision to go to a different company where it, you might earn less money or you have a lesser job title, maybe the same money. It's not as prestigious, um, but you are in line with your values and that's a, that's a win. Yes, absolutely. Yes. That's the exact case. And I think both with money and with values, my belief is we're not striving for perfection. So like where any organization you're in, I would be shocked if it was a hundred percent aligned with your values, unless it's yours, if it's your organization. Right. (laughs) So it's always a matter of like tolerance, right? Where, what is my tolerance? What is the line? Right. And what is my highest value? Uh, And same is true for money. The second skill, the second financial skill is saving. So some of us are better at saving than others. I would say like, if you want to be good at savings, automate it. (laughs) That's my like tech, my best technical tip. But the money that is the money that you have in a savings account, the bank is not just hanging on to that money. It's not sitting in that bank account. That bank is using that money to make loans for could be any variety of things. It could be credit cards. It could be car loans. It could be home loans. It could be business loans. It could be small business loans. It could be large business loans. So if you're a person who is an environmentalist and preserving the environment is your biggest value, then you might not want to bank at one of the biggest five banks in the country because What they're doing with your deposit is they're loaning it to companies that are using it for fossil fuel expansion. So that is like just a really simple where you choose your bank and where your money is sitting in a savings account matters that like that money is either expressing your values or it's not expressing your values. And the tool you can use that makes this super easy is go to mightydeposits.com. And they, that is the whole purpose of that company is you can search by your values set and then you can search by, you know, bank features. Like, do they have to have an online bank or are you fine with, you know, a local bank and you have to go to the branch, but you can find a bank that's aligned with your values. I'll pause. Oh, how interesting. I didn't like, I didn't even occur to me 
that like literally who holds my money? And it seems like, like obvious, like why, why wouldn't that occur to me? But it's just like, oh, that's just the banks that are there that are so popular must use that. Right. And mm-hmm. so you obviously have choice, but I never saw that as an expression of values, I guess, similarly with how, what stores you spend money at and restaurants you go to those kinds of things. Right. Can you be a little bit more specific on when you said your biggest tip is to automate? So do you, for savings and that building that skill, is that literally like setting an automatic money aside into savings account? Is that what you mean? That's one way to do it. My favorite way to do it is a little bit more complex and also more effective. My favorite way to automate your savings is by having 100% of your income deposited into a savings account, not into a checking account. And then have an automated transfer from savings monthly into checking. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Or your spend, right? So like if your monthly budget is 5000 a month or $10,000 a month or $100,000 a month, doesn't matter what the number is, right? But if that's what your monthly budget number is, if 100% of your money goes into savings and then you just transfer your 5000 your budget spend into checking, then the default, your default income is your savings account. Every time you get a raise, every time you get a bonus, every time you get a spiff, every time you get like some unexpected income, it will default to savings instead of checking. I love that so much. That reframe of the default. Oh my goodness. That is like another simple, but like my mind is like, what? Like the mind blow blown emoji is my face right now because then it's not like, oh, I need to, this is what I have and I can spend this or I do spend this. You'll probably spend, I would imagine you probably spend more and the default isn't savings, it's spending if that's the case. And I would imagine that's probably the, the majority of people have it set up that way. Yeah, for sure. Human behavior. I mean, we are, our human behavior is by de- by our default is, is like the path of least resistance. Yeah. So like you said, if the money's in the account, we spend it because that's the path of least resistance, mm. uh, right? Setting up the transfer to savings. That's another step. So yeah. that's a little bit of resistance. So yeah, flipping the script. And I think mentally it's a reminder that your income is for you first. And yeah. it's kind of reminder that you're the one that directs this cash flow. It's not your checking account that directs the cash flow. I love that. Are you in a new role or transitioning to a new role soon? Have you thought about how you will transition into your new role intentionally? How do you create boundaries to sustain your energy and prioritize the things that matter most to you? How would it feel to go into your new role feeling prepared with an intentional plan to prioritize the most important things and still have energy to tackle the things that will inevitably come your way? These are the kinds of things that leaders are working on in the catch crew. The catch crew is our community to build your career intentionally, whether that means transitioning into a new role, building or reinforcing your team culture or planning your next role. When you join, you get instant access to career transition tools, including Values First, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, Values First. You'll get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. 
That's thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. We're having our next monthly catch up soon. Can't wait to see you there. So that so far we have earn and save. What's next? Invest. Invest. Okay. Invest. Yeah. Investing usually means you're buying stocks, you're buying bonds, you're buying real estate. Um, Those are kind of like the big, broad asset classes. When you're buying stocks, you can decide what companies to buy. And are these companies aligned with your values? And there are so many different frameworks for deciding that. Tip, another tool for people who are listening and are interested in this is go to asyouso.org. And that will, you can like look up if you're invested, for example, in a Vanguard passive mutual fund. You can look up that mutual fund and you can see what companies it's invested in. And it breaks down as you so breaks it down. I want to say into six different values categories Mm -hmm. and like how that fund rates in those categories. So that's one like super simple way to do it. But again, if you're, you want a a sustainable environment, there's a few frameworks for that. If you want uh, racial and ethnic equality, there's, there's frameworks for that. If you want, you know, less gun violence and gun manufacturing, Um, and gun distributors, there's a framework for that. So you can go in you can see how are my investments? Again, just like the bank, your investments are being used for something. Uh, So take that agency back and make sure that it's being used for the world that you want to see around you. I love all of the resources that you are sharing with us and how, how you can literally align them to causes that are important to you and your values. Just even the idea of like investing in women-led companies or women-led funds, like all of that is super interesting to me too. So it's really, it's really cool that companies like that even exist to, to be transparent, to show you how to do that. Thank you for sharing these resources. You're welcome. And I would say part of the shame uh, around money is that our entire financial industry was built by wealthy white men. And wealthy white men are not bad inherently, but they're missing diverse perspectives, right? So the way that we all experience the world and what we uh, have to go through and what we value is different. So we don't have as diverse of expectations and perspectives building the financial services industry. So it has highly been like geared towards being product oriented and performance oriented. And none of my clients, when people hire me as their financial advisor, nobody comes to me saying my goal is to maximize my rate of return and die with as much money as possible. In 20 years of doing this, not a single person has told me that that's their goal. Everybody tells me their goal is I want to live comfortably. This is what comfortably means to me. I want to be able to retire someday. And if my money can not only take care of my needs, but can make the world a better place too. That would be pretty cool. Um, So if you're listening to this and you have a financial advisor and you go to them, you're like, Hey, I want to align my investments to my values. And they look at you and be like, well, you shouldn't do that because it's going to sacrifice performance or whatever the case is. Don't be surprised because that's not how the industry was built. The industry was built that their job is to help you maximize your performance. To make you more money, to make you more returns. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, And so like, they're the crazy one in that case, (laughs) like you're in that case, they're the crazy ones. And there's plenty of advisors like me where that is also important to me. So you don't have to settle for that. 
So we've got earn, save, invest. What's next? Give. Give, yes. I've mentioned women and diversity and equality a couple of times. So that is a value of mine. Uh, and I recognize it doesn't have to be a value for everybody. But just as an example, giving and philanthropy, less than 4% of all philanthropic giving goes to women and girls. Mm. So, you know, giving is one of those things where you like, you kind of think values first, like nobody donates to a cause that they're not excited about. But a couple tips or like at least one on giving is there's a, a thing called a donor advised fund. And that is a tool, donor advice fund. The IRS looks at it kind of like a retirement account. It says, okay, if you use that kind of account, we're going to give you tax benefits. So what that looks like, for example, is if as a family, you want to contribute $1,000 a month to that kind of account, or just you got a big bonus and you want to write a check and deposit it in that account, the day you deposited it, it is tax deductible for you. Now you can invest that account and that money And then you can use it kind of like your own personal foundation and you can give out grants to nonprofit organizations from that account. Ooh, I love this idea. You're just like dropping lots of strategies that are just blowing my mind. I did not know existed. (laughs) So, and again, it can be aligned to what's important to you, like build that you still get benefit from that intrinsically, but also as a tax deduction. It's a great tool from a financial standpoint. If you have a tax year where you're going to have a bunch of taxes for whatever reason, you, you sold a business, you, you inherited a bunch of stock, like whatever the case is, it's a good tool to use from a financial and a tax planning standpoint. It's also a good tool to help get kids involved in the values Mm -hmm. discussion. So it literally functions like like a private family foundation. So even if you have like five or $10,000 in it, you have an opportunity to sit down with your kids and be like, Hey, we have $5,000 in our uh, donor fund. We should decide as a family, like what causes are we going to contribute to this year? And it gets them involved both in a financial conversation and in a values conversation. So you came to this podcast for leadership advice, but today you're getting financial and parenting advice as well. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So after give, what's after give? Bend. Bend. Yeah. So as a consumer, we are a consumer driven economy. Oh, every dollar we spend again is sending a signal. This is what I value. And this is where, you know, again, there's probably the most information on aligning values of spending out there. I don't think I have any tricks or like tactical tips on this one, (laughs) Uh, but I would offer from a leadership standpoint, like you're taking charge of your money and it doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, I personally, like my last resort choice is uh, buying off of Amazon. My first, I'd rather buy local. Uh, I'd rather buy from women-owned businesses. I'd rather buy from businesses uh, owned by people of color. My last resort is Amazon. But I don't hold myself to a standard of perfection because my belief and philosophy there is that, you know, it's kind of like diet culture. Like if you, you know, have a couple croutons, you like, you just eat a cheeseburger for dinner. Like, no, (laughs) it's fine. You don't have to be hundred percent all the time. It's not all or nothing. Yeah. I love it. I think that in all of the five that you described, I feel like you're that one. It's probably because we're all consumers. Yeah. We've made at least a couple of these decisions aligned to our values. 
or not, but we have at least realized what, what it means. I think we're more cognizant of that last one. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Like broadly too. I think, I don't think I've ever talked to somebody where it's a surprise, right. For them that you could spend according to your values. Um, but the saving and the investing and the giving strategies, those are usually surprises. I really love, um, the framework that you have and just these simple mind shifts and skill set shifts that have really, obviously I've, I've said it many times, like, wow, that's a great idea. And oh my goodness, it's just open your, open my eyes to small things. And obviously those do add up, but in addition can help you make decisions that you, that you feel better about yeah. because they are aligned to your values and it's not rocket science, right? It really isn't. And I do think that's kind of a barrier to entry, like people making it more complex than it is, you know, it's doing it to exclude audiences. And there's, there's just no reason for that anymore. There's enough, there's more than enough for all of us. I would say, and I would say about, you know, your career aspirations um, and your listeners, the more you invest in being good with managing yourself, like I think the best leadership lesson is learning how to self-manage. Um, but I would say that your financial management is a part of that. And so the more financially confident you are, the more the easier it is to make values decisions, right? You brought up the example before. Do I want to take that job from that company that's, you know, X dollars more than this job from this company? Well, the more confident you are in your cash flow and your balance sheet and your trajectory, the easier that decision is. But if you're insecure about, about your financial decisions um, and how they impact you today or in the future, makes those decisions harder. That's how we end up compromising our values. That's how we end up taking the job that makes more money that sucks the soul out of us. Your actual soul, your actual soul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And, and then you don't get to you don't get to do all the other things to use your money because you're working all the time or you're burnt out or you're whatever. So you can't, you can't, you probably don't have the the share of mind to spend um, in a way that aligns with your values or even spend it in the things that you need for care for yourself, for your family, vacations, all the other things that you might want. But this idea of financial confidence to enable a life of your values. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. I'm glad that was helpful. Yeah. It's so helpful. I've learned a ton from you and I'm sure others have too. And, and I think no, kind of no matter where you are in your financial competence or confidence, you probably Mm -hmm. learned at least a couple of things today, whether that's, you know, tweaking your savings strategy or your giving strategy or, like me learning something in every single bucket. Um, uh, I, I just thank you for sharing your, your knowledge with, because I think that's another thing that keeps us from it. It's just the transparency of it all. Right. Yes. I'll be the first to tell you, I, and investors will tell you, we can tell you the financial mistakes we've made. Like we've all made them. If somebody, and and that's something that can help you build your confidence too, is if you find somebody who's really financially confident compliment them. I like, you seem super financial, financially confident. That's something I'm working on in myself. Like, tell me what makes you so confident. Like what's your best lesson for confidence? And then ask them, what's your, what's your biggest financial mistake? And they will tell you, (laughs) they will tell you 
I lost X number of dollars on this deal. I took this job that I hated. I like, we will all tell you our worst mistakes. And I just love just having finance pay transparency, anything, just more transparency for anything financial. Yeah. Yeah, I love that idea of giving somebody a compliment on their financial competence or their confidence in it, just because instead of saying, Hey, I love your shoes, or that's a really great color in you. Like right. let's expand what we're complimenting each other on too. I like you. Yes, I agree. <laughs> well, I, um, I really enjoyed our conversation. What is the best way for anyone to connect with you? So the name of my firm is Utor Wealth. That's U-T-O-R, Utor Wealth. Go to utorwealth.com and in the very top right, there's a book now button. So I talk to anybody. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care if you feel like your life is a financial disaster or you feel like you've got everything squared away. doesn't matter how you're coming to me. I give everybody 20 minutes. Um, If I can help you, then I will help you. If I can't, I can't. Uh, But at the very least, after a 20 minute conversation, I can kind of point you in the right direction. I love it. Thank you so much for being so generous with your thought leadership here today and transparency and also with your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I loved it. It was such a such a great conversation. And we're going to put all of your um, info in the show notes so that folks can grab that there and book time with you. So thank you so much again. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.